Warning, file 13 contains content that may be too disturbing for some audiences. It contains graphic descriptions of crime scenes. It may not be suitable for children under 13. Listener discretion is advised. Mother's Day is a day of celebration, a time where family get together and celebrate the women who changed our diapers, wiped our nose, kissed our sores, and fixed our lunch. We pay tribute and honor those women in our lives. It's a moment of happiness, and they in return love us. But one day in 1992, in a small town in Mississippi, during an outside celebration for Mother's Day, two children, one three years old, one two years old, vanished in thin air. This is the case of Crenice Jones and Lamone Allen. Today, May 10th, 1992, that not one but two children, Lamone Allen and Crenice Jones, vanished while playing in front of the Jimmy Jackson grocery store four miles east of Woodville, Mississippi, at approximately four in the afternoon. Dive into the world of unsolved murders in Black America with File 13. Each week on Wednesday, we explore a new case, whether it's local, historical, or from national headlines. Come with us as we tell the stories about the people who are less likely to have their murders solved. File 13, where we believe a cold case is not a closed case. Everywhere you listen to podcasts. Listening to File 13. I'm your host, Kwame Curry. Here we explore and discuss the unsolved murders and cases in Black America. Our goal here is to bring cases that have gone cold and unresolved to light so that perhaps someone who may be listening out there may know something and they can help crack this case wide open. Before we get started, as I do every week, I'd like to thank the team that makes this podcast possible, starting with my amazing co host, Bam. She's not with us today. Our head of research and development, Raven Clark Gross, the equally brilliant Jessica Hollis Summers, our research consultant, owner of Phoenix Creative Services, who helps us with research interviews, editing and fact checking. The man who brings the amazing sounds of suspense in the opening credits, Mr. Ronald Sapiano. And finally, our voice actors, Mr. Corey Scott, Lisa Waters, Medina Smith and Coco Rain. Okay, family, the case we are about to discuss, you're going to need a pencil, a couple sheets of paper, some magic markers with about three different colors, something to drink because when I tell you that this case involves so many names with so many different stories, so many points of view, you would literally go cross-eyed if you read it in a book, I'm telling you. If you don't start this from the beginning and you just come in and start listening, you will get lost. On May 10th, 1992, it's Mother's Day in Woodville, Mississippi. 
and the Jackson family are having a celebration to honor the matriarchs of their families. They have a very large family, so there's no sort shortage of food. And let's add that this is in the deep south, so we know how families get down for meals in general. So when you add a holiday or a celebration for a specific reason, it's amplified. Now, this is a multi-generational family, all living relatively close to one another next to a highway. They reside so close to one another that you could say it's almost like a virtual family compound. Now, I'm going to try my best to explain this without confusion because it's so many names and family members connected in one way or the other, it's easy to get lost. So on this Mother's Day, the family had to get together. But as large as the family is, it was only about 20 to 25 in attendance. And in this group of 20 to 25, there was a man named Tyrone Edwards. Tyrone has a nephew who was married to a woman named Leola. She's part of the Jackson family. Tyrone came from Louisiana with his girlfriend, Carla, and she brought her two daughters, Krishana and Krenice. There are plenty of children for Carla's two girls to play with, which was a relief for Carla. But this welcoming celebration turns for the worse by the afternoon when someone realizes that there are less children here now than what there was before. They soon discover that Tyrone's two-year-old great-nephew, Lamone, and Carla's three-year-old daughter, Crenice, is now missing. The assumption that they have, may have left with someone they don't know isn't really plausible. I mean, these toddlers are two and three. They don't even know their own age, let alone people that they just met a few hours ago. The family starts searching. Their feeling is that they have to be around somewhere, but that's not as easy as it sounds. Remember, the family all live next to each other in homes that stretch across three acres of land. That's literally the size of three football fields. On one end is Jimmy Jackson's grocery store. This is where Leola parents live and work. Next to them is Leola's brother, and next to him is two of Leola's sisters. The grocery store is right off a dirt road that connects to a highway, and the homes are surrounded by thick trees and brush, so this makes the search even more difficult than it already is. Some of the party begin knocking on doors in the nearby neighborhood. Krishana, she's nine, starts to check under the seats under a school bus parked nearby. There's no sign of them. No one in the neighborhood has seen these two little babies. According to an article in the Woodville Republican by Andy Lewis, the sheriff department is called and they arrive at the scene about 5 p.m. They begin a search. They bring local police, the fire department, and even prison inmates from a local work center. They bring bloodhounds from Angola Prison that's across the river in Louisiana. Angola Prison is one of the most dangerous and notorious prisons in America. They have a bloodhound sniff a piece of Crenice clothing to pick up a scent. They don't have anything of Lamone's, but their thinking is that if the children are both together, if they find one, they should find the other. So the hounds do pick up a scent but they lose it at the road near the Jackson's grocery store. This revelation leads police to believe that the kids were picked up in a car. So the most important thing that the police can do at this time is get a timeline of events in this small rural town of 1,800 people. Also, they need to learn more about Lamone and Crenice themselves. So now they must gather statements from so many people with so many versions and the more they question, the more they realize how random that the whole thing is in the first place. You see, Leola had just invited Tyrone and Carla the night before when she and her husband, Glenn, ran into Tyrone and Carla at a bar in Louisiana. Carla wasn't even supposed to be there. 
She had plans of her own. She was supposed to be going to a barbecue at her mother's, but at church on that Sunday, she informed her family that she decided to go to Mississippi to Tyrone's family event, but she'd be back in time for their barbecue. Carla's sister even offered to watch the kids while she was away, but she decided to take them with her so that they can play with the other kids there. Leola indicates through sources that she didn't know Carla was bringing her kids. She thought it would be the four adults along with her and Glenn's toddler son, plus Glenn's nephew, Lamone. Leola also says they weren't originally planning on bringing Lamone. He was just living there temporarily with Glenn's mother, who is his paternal grandmother. The grandmother apparently didn't want him to go to Mississippi, but somehow they convinced her to let him go anyways. So, you get all of these eight people squeezed into a car for a long ride from Louisiana to Mississippi. They left around 10.30 a.m. and they arrive around 1.45 p.m. Everyone attends the afternoon church service at the Jackson Family Church Bleak House Baptist Church. Everyone except Glenn. You see, Glenn had a little bit too much to drink, so he stayed and watched his son and Lamont play outside. Church let out around 3.30 p.m. Everyone kind of went their own way for that moment. The adults did Sunday cleaning and prepping for dinner. The kids were playing. The older kids went off doing their own thing. So Lamone and Crenice end up hanging and playing together on the steps of the grocery store. But they weren't alone there. Both Tyrone and Glenn were right off the porch in the doorway where they could see them. Carla was in the back of the store ironing clothes with Leola. Krishana, Crenice's older sister, was with one of the older girls they they were walking from the store to one of the sister's houses. It was at that moment Krishana noticed that Crenice was running behind her. She was doing that but that little thing that siblings do, they want to tag along with their big brothers or their big sister. And the older girl Krishana was with told her she would take Crenice back to the store while she watched. And that's exactly what she did. Then she rejoined Krishana and they left walking. So the toddler's not happy about this. So they went and complained to Tyrone that the older kids wouldn't let them come along. So Tyrone instructs them to run and catch up with the big kids. Tyrone and Glenn watch them walk off to the other houses, specifically to a footbridge that crosses a small stream between two houses. It is at this point that the authorities say that the kids disappeared. They never caught up with the big kids, but the problem is that no one was looking for the kids yet. Krishana is under the impression Krenice is still where the older kid took her. Tyrone and Glenn is under the impression that they caught up with the older kids. The adults leave the store at around 4.20 p.m., and they all gather outside Leola's sister's home, talking and having drinks. Now they decide it's time to eat. Leola goes in to start making plates, and it is at that moment things start to get a little murky in this story. See, there's plenty of contradictory statements and even outright different accounts of what happened from other reports, even in the FBI statement. It would take at least a six-part series to, to go through all of these statements and how they contradict one another, but for the sake of this episode, we will focus on the main dispute, which is how and when did Crenice and Lamone go missing? Daddy Issues, the new album by Lauren Nicole is out now. Come into the world of the R&B songstress as she takes you through her journey of love, life, healing, trials, and tribulations. Check out her smash hits, I Met a Guy, Sorry, and Look Who's Crying Now. 
Daddy Issues, the album, streaming on all platforms. Dive into a world of unsolved murders in Black America with File 13. Each week, we explore a new case, whether it's local, historical, or from national headlines. Come with us as we tell stories about the people who are less likely to have their murder solved. File 13, where we believe a cold case is not a closed case. Listen to us each and every Wednesday, everywhere you find your podcast. And now back to our story. According to an FBI summary report by Agent Nate Songer, it's when everyone goes in to start fixing plates that they notice that the toddlers were missing. But no one was really concerned at the time. But a few minutes later, Glenn and Leola realized they weren't outside playing with the other kids. They went to the grocery store, but no one was there. So they went back to the house and told everyone that Crenice and Lamone was gone. Carla's version is a different, is a little bit different. She says they were in Leola's sister's house. Glenn had already made a plate of food and he had it in his hand already. And suddenly him and Leola grabbed their son, ran outside, jumped in the car and left. Her and Tyrone ate, listened to music, then went outside. It wasn't until 45 minutes later that Leola, Tyrone, and their son returned and informed them that Lamone was missing. Carla then says that's when she went next door to check on Kenise and realized that she was missing too. Leola's version says she says the reason why they jumped in the car and drove off in the first place was because everyone already knew that the kids were missing by that time. Everyone was in panic mode. They drove around the neighborhood. They went as far as four miles out. Then they came back to start the search on foot. Back to the FBI summary report. Carla didn't seem worried that Crenice was missing. She sat on the porch while everyone else split up to search for the children. Now, Leola said Carla did help as much as she could, but due to the fact that she wasn't familiar with the area, she couldn't be much help. But she doesn't recall Carla acting worried, but it appears Carla felt that the children would be found, so it could explain why Carla would have a calm demeanor, perhaps. Carla said it was she and Tyrone who was knocking on doors and searching urgently to find them while Leola and Glenn didn't help at all. So, Glenn finally calls his mother to tell her the news. This is the same grandmother who didn't want Lamone to go in the first place. Lamone's father, Terrell, is in the military and he's stationed in Alaska and he's been there since before, before Lamone was even born. Lamone's mother, Lavette, is in California where she's finishing up school. After the grandmother finds out, she calls and informs her son. Her son then contacts the mother, Lamone's mom, and his mother was understandably stunned because she just spoke to Lamone that day and she didn't even know that he was going to Mississippi. She thought he was going to McDonald's with Terrell's sister. When Lavette learned her son was missing, a chill goes up her spine because she recalled a warning she received from her own mother. She said she had a bad feeling that if she let her son go with go and stay with his father's side of the family, she would never see him again. Those words are seared into her mind as she gathers her things to fly to Louisiana. There's one person that police want to talk to 
who wasn't at the celebration, a man named Gregory Jones. Gregory Jones is Crenice's father. They track him down in Louisiana and discover that the kids aren't with him and that he has an alibi. He was at work until 2.30 p.m. And then after that, he went to dinner with his mom at 6 p.m. And then after that, he went bar hopping with his girlfriend. Now, the timeline and the distance make his alibi very plausible, but police won't rule out the idea that he created an alibi and had someone else drive hours away to take his child because technically he wasn't required to work on that Sunday. He actually asked to work, which creates his alibi. Now, we know most kidnappings and child abductions occur within the family and most likely by the parent. So him taking his kid wouldn't be surprising. But why take a kid that's not yours and a kid that you don't even know? That's what doesn't make sense. Now, there's other reasons why they continue to look at Gregory. According to Leola, Levette and FBI reports, Carla is the one who told authorities to look into Gregory. See, them two broke up after about six years and he was jealous of Tyrone. Allegedly, she refused to break up with Tyrone and he threatened to take his own life and ended up in the hospital. She put a restraining order out on Gregory, but later dropped it. Easter of that year, less than a month before the disappearance, her trailer was set on fire and Gregory was possibly involved. According to the report, Krishana indicated that during that relationship, he was abusive to his mom. The report also indicated that Krenice was taken twice by Gregory without her permission. And Leola goes on to say that Carla told people that Gregory warned her that if she goes to Mississippi, that something is going to happen. Now, here's where things get really messy. Carla said Gregory never took Krenice without permission and she never told anyone or Gregory warned her about going to Mississippi. He didn't, he didn't even know she was going. Carla says the only reason police became so focused on Gregory is because Glenn and Leola purposely cast suspicion his way. Carla says Leola got a call from a man on Sunday night who says he was repairing the Bleak House church roof when he saw an unfamiliar car. This car was very distinct. It was a gray Mustang with an orange stripe, and that's exactly the same kind of car that Gregory drives. This lead is especially important because in the report, it does show Leola told investigators about this car, but she then changes her story and say that the car was tan. So they crossed out the gray and in the report, it actually reads as tan. This report is five days after the child disappeared, not in the first 24 hours. So this really can't be the reason for, for early suspicion on Gregory. There were reports of multiple unfamiliar cars in that area that day. So that made this tip even more circumstantial. Now, the story is ran in the local news and a few days after that airing, they get a call from a local woman. And what she says becomes very key information that helps narrow down the timeline. She says she was driving west on the Jackson, past the Jackson property at around 4 p.m. Sunday afternoon. It was there she saw two children walking near the footbridge between the two houses I mentioned earlier. She said it didn't appear to be any adults around, which was a cause for concern, but it was already 4 p.m. and she was late to get into her mother-in-law's house, so she kept going. But in retrospect, she wishes she would have stopped. Now, in an FBI interview in May, Terrell, Lamont's father, said his son doesn't have behavioral problems. There's no financial issues or concerns. He will call several times a week to check on Lamont at his mother's house. In fact, 
Lamone was set to go back to California with his mom at the end of the month. He doesn't know Carla that well, but he did go to high school with Carla's sister when they were younger. But then during that interview, he says something very odd. He says, and I quote, never thought I'd miss the kid. And then he goes on to say it was a painful ordeal. The FBI isn't ruling out Terrell as a suspect, even though they believe he was in Alaska when it happened. But there's possibility he could have set it up. But why? There was no custody battles between him and LeVette. And why take Crenice? The same question that we are asking in regards to Gregory. It's around this time a rumor surfaces that catches the FBI attention. The rumor is that Glenn is selling drugs and Tyrone helps him collect money. But it's also said that Glenn owes money to people in Mississippi and Louisiana and that the kids were taken at taken as to settle a debt. So with this surfacing, the FBI decides it's time to take some lie detector tests. So on May 21st, they bring everyone in, Glenn, Tyrone, Carla and Leola. According to the report, Carla did accuse Gregory directly with the kids disappearance. But he says he didn't even know they were in Mississippi. He's never been to Woodville, and if he wanted to kidnap his child, he'd just, take, he'd just do it in Louisiana. It's true that Gregory didn't want Carla's new boyfriend around his daughter because he was told by Crenice that Tyrone hit her in the back, but Carla said that that was false. Now, Glenn admits that he uses drugs and did sell them in the past, but he doesn't now, and he doesn't owe anyone money. And the last place he saw the kids were near the footbridge in between the two houses near the stream walking behind the other kids. Carla has no idea where the kids are. Leola admits Glenn does do drugs but never heard anything about him selling them. Tyrone says nobody does drugs, nobody sells drugs, he doesn't know anything about drugs. Nobody knows anything. During the polygraph, everyone was asked a variation of two questions. Did you participate in the disappearance of the two children? And do you know where either of the two children are now? Glenn and Leola pass. Gregory test is inconclusive. Carla and Tyrone fail. Not only did Carla fail, but she failed twice. Carla said she failed because she was upset, but swears she doesn't know what happened. Dive into the world of unsolved murders in Black America with File 13. Each week on Wednesday, we explore a new case, whether it's local, historical, or from national headlines. Come with us as we tell the stories about the people who are less likely to have their murders solved. File 13, where we believe a cold case is not a closed case. Everywhere you listen to podcasts. And now, back to the story. So over the next few weeks, the investigation and the search continues. They were draining swamps. They questioned over 100 people, including members of the church. But then police get a promising tip. The day before the children disappeared, there was an attempted abduction about 90 miles away in Columbia, Mississippi. Police learned that a white male tried to kidnap a nine-year-old black girl. Luckily, someone saw it and chased him away. Police were able to get tips to find this man, and when questioned, he said it was an innocent mistake. 
he was scared because he had gotten lost in a black neighborhood and he asked a young girl for directions and suddenly found himself surrounded by a bunch of black people. The FBI digs into his background, but unfortunately, it's a dead end. The story gets national attention on America's Most Wanted, but brought up no viable results. Terrell leaves Alaska, but doesn't go back to Mississippi, so he ends up getting updates from his family. Lavette eventually has to go back to California. Carla and Tyrone eventually break up, and ironically, Carla and Gregory gets married, but then divorce. Leola and Glenn breaks up, and later Terrell gets married. Years pass with no new leads until around 1999, when a relative of Lamone sends word to Carla that they received a letter, and this letter shakes Carla to her core. It's from a woman in Buffalo, New York, and she has a wild claim. She says back in 1992, she dropped her daughter off at her paternal grandmother's so that she can go to a concert out of state. And when she returned to get her daughter, she was given Crenice instead. Now, this is wild. But as she explained, she said her ex-family uses foster care licenses to run a kidnapping ring and basically they have kidnapped many more children. Terrell had been contacted by this woman as well. She then sends out photos, including the one she thinks is Crenice. I don't really want to go into detail because long story short, it was false and it led to absolutely nothing. Then in 2013, Carla and Lavette reconnect. They have a very similar assumptions between them both. They both feel Terrell orchestrated everything from Alaska. They think Glenn and Leola helped help them, but Lavette thinks Carla is involved because she had she was way too calm during that time. So we're back to why would both toddlers with no connection be taken? Well, Lavette thinks Crenice may be Lamone's half sister. Lavette thinks Terrell is the biological father of Crenice. Carla denies all of this. As complicated as this is, I'm not even done. So you might want to go grab a drink, use the bathroom, and come back. Lavette tells Carla that for the last few years, she's been communicating with a man she thinks is her son. And we're going to call him Mike. And Lavette says there's a young woman named Stacy connected to Mike in some way who she believes is Crenice. They have the same last name, Alan. Lavette found Mike through a background search website when he popped up in Terrell's potential family members. Mike is Terrell's stepson. So she called Lamone's case manager at the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and then he then contacted the Wilkinson County Sheriff, who happened to be Leola's cousin, Randall Reginald Jackson. Lavette's cousin reaches out to this Mike on social media in 2011. She sent a friend request, and then they started to chat. Now, how does Stacy fit in this? Lavette sees a Facebook post where Mike's sister Alicia referred to Stacy as her sister. So Lavette checks out Stacy's profile, and to her, Stacy looks like an older version of Crenice. So Krishana finds out about this, and she has a foolproof plan to figure out if Stacy is in fact Crenice. She messages Stacy and asks her if she has a scar on the back of her ear. You see, Crenice had one from a tooth infection that required surgery. So get this. Stacy does have a scar on the back of her ear. It's on her right ear. But Crenice was on her left ear. Stacy and Crenicia get on the phone and Krishana, I'm sorry. Stacy and Krishana get on the phone and Krishana tells her she might be her long lost sister. Stacy says it couldn't be 
She says she's seen her birth certificate. She knows her parents and her scar on her ear was recent from a car accident. She also exclaimed that everything was a very misunderstanding that Alicia and Stacy have known each other and they were just so close that they call each other sister, but was not actually related. And as far as Mike, she barely knows Mike. She only met him once and that was very briefly. Mike is seven years older than what Lamon would be today. Stacy is one year older than what Cranice would have been. Long story short, the FBI got involved, did DNA testing, and it turns out that it wasn't a match for Stacy. She wasn't Cranice. But Stacy and Krishana did actually become very close and are there like family to this day. So where are we now? The National Center of Missing and Exploited Children has a team and they have been continuously working this case as recently as a few years ago. Agents who worked the case have now retired and they still think about Crenice and Lamone on that fateful Mother's Day in 1992. It would be one day that this family will never forget. This was a very, very interesting case. Um, it's just hard to believe how two children could just disappear in the middle of a celebration such as that. But if you're out here and you're listening, if you have any information that can help the FBI, the Wilkinson County Sheriff's Department or the Woodville Police, please call the FBI in Mississippi at 601-948-5000 or you can call 1-800-THE-LOSS. Thank you for listening to File 13 and join us next week as we dive into the mysterious disappearance of Kiara Coles. Please let us know what you think about the show. If you like it, please leave us a five-star rating. If you don't like it, please leave a five-star rating anyways. You can email us at thefile13 at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for us or if there's any case that you want us to look into, remember, new episodes drop every Wednesday. If you are one of the criminals who committed this crime and you can hear the sound of my voice, I want you to remember a cold case is not a closed case. You will be found and brought to justice.